to look with us. We're in the second chapter of John. <clears throat> Thinking about this first miracle of the Lord that He's going to perform here. We got down to about verse 6. But let's read beginning at verse 1 down through 11 again and uh, maybe just quickly go over the first six verses again. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He saith unto them, Draw out now and bear it unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when the men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. So Jesus, his mother, his disciples, and the best knowledge we've got here, there's five of them. They're going to be invited. They're going to be called to a wedding feast. Um, likely some of Mary's family, kinfolk here. And the Lord Jesus, as he's called, he comes to the wedding. And, you know, maybe, maybe off topic as to what we're looking at here. But from the beginning, God Almighty, man did not invent nor come up with marriage. In the beginning, God ordained the first marriage and said this is the way it's going to be. And man has no right to mess with or to change that. To redefine marriage as that's the way it's put in our day and age that we're living in would be like changing the Word of God. Man's got no right to change that that God has ordained. And so Jesus is going to attend the wedding and here's God in the flesh giving His blessing to the marriage of a man and a woman. <clears throat> and they're going to run out of wine. We talked about in this day the shame culture that there was, how that when your name received shame it went through the community. And uh, we operate somewhat that way today but... Nowhere to the place that this was where if your family's name received shame, like these publicans and sinners, this man, Levi, he was a publican. He was cast down in the eyes of the city. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. They didn't want him in their businesses. And that shame carried on to the family as well. So that his children, they were sons of publicans. And even, you know, look at the scripture that Kevin read, even Jesus just by eating with them. His name was drugged down in the eyes of the people with those publicans and sinners. And so here uh, they wanted wine to have run out of wine. It would have brought shame on the family. 
And we talked about this 3, 4, and 5, the exchange between Mary and Jesus, and how strange that it looks when you read it. Mary says they have no wine. It's all she says. It's not asking for a miracle. And Jesus replies, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Remember what that means. It's woman, what business is that of ours? How is that our business? Mine hour is not yet come. So you're going to see in this chapter and through the rest, Jesus' real time of proving who that He was. All of these miracles and works are great signs and indications. But the great proof that Jesus was the Son of God is that on the third day He's going to rise from the dead. It was in that that He was declared to be the Son of God with power that He raised from the dead. So when He says, Mine hour has not yet come, it's not time for me to be proven as to who I really am. And yet, that sounds like a horribly negative answer to get. And yet Mary looks to the servants and says, whatever he says, do it. And so there was some expectation of Mary. And I think when you, when you look at the way we're to pray, Jessica mentioned the scripture, Paul prayed thrice that the thorn in the flesh would depart, and God's answer was, my grace is sufficient. So there's a laying the case out before the Lord. Recognizing this, He's the one that knows everything. What we've got is a fraction of knowledge. We just see a little piece, and honest to God, it's from our point of view. We think about it often with a corrupted mind by the devil, with a twisted imagination. And so what we know is just a little portion, and most of the time... I'm wrong in what I'm thinking. So we got to recognize this, that often we don't know what to pray for as we ought. You could, and, and if, if you would think back and you've been in the way any length of time, I believe you can see times in your life that you prayed for something that had God granted you that at that time, it would have harmed you. It would have been bad for you. See, we don't know what to pray for really as we ought. God's the one with the knowledge. So what does Mary do? She lays the case out before Him. This is the situation that I'm in. And I believe that's the way we're to pray. We lay the case. Hezekiah, the, the great example, received the letter from the enemy. He brought it down to the temple and he laid it out before the Lord. Now is Hezekiah going to make the Lord do anything? Is Mary going to make the Lord to do anything? And I believe that's why he answers her in the manner that he does here. It's, she's his mother in the flesh, but she's not going to make him do anything. And he doesn't address her as mother. And you know, some would say, well, that's disrespectful. He's not honoring his father and mother. In the flesh, she was his mother. But in reality, from John chapter 1, He was the eternal Word of God. In reality, He's the one that gave her the life that she had. He was the one that was maintaining the life that she had. And He was her Lord and Savior. So 
you've got the two relationships that's there. And at 30 years old, Jesus is baptized and He's laying aside the carnal life. And His ministry now is to accomplish and fulfill the Word of God, to give His life on the cross, to resurrect the third day for the salvation of the world. But God's given us a vision here that as the Catholics say, that Mary is our intercessor and that we pray to Mary and Mary goes to Jesus and then Jesus goes to God. That's not the case. Jesus says, woman, what business is that of ours? And yet, she's expecting Him to do something. And her direction is, she lays out the case before the Lord and whatever He says, do it. Wouldn't that be good? I believe that would be an appropriate attitude for everybody to have. Whatever the Lord would direct, whatever He says, well, that don't make sense. That's not what I asked for. Paul could have gladly said that. I'm not taking your thorn away. Well, that's not what I asked for. But see, Paul's going to be happy in the situation that he's in. He's going to glory in his infirmities. And so here, she says, whatever he says, let's do it. And Jesus says, well, verse 6, there were six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. So most, uh, most places say that was a Jewish bath. The firkin here was a bath. A bath was about three gallons to nine gallons. They don't know exactly. But anyway, the total of the six pots, anywhere from 30 to 150, most likely around 100 gallons, is what these six water pots of stone held. So we're not talking about a pitcher of water. We're talking about 100 gallons of water. An immense amount of water. And they're there for purification. So the Jews, they had their ceremonies and their rites and it became a whole lot more than it needed be. In the Old Testament days, by the law of God, because a man was a publican, that didn't mean you throwed him out of the, uh, the, uh, the church, the family of God. You didn't throw them out as wicked. They were still brethren of the Jews. But it became so entwined in works and in my righteousness and in what I'm doing, that the true motions and message of the law of God was cast out. As we get away from the spiritual meaning of the Word of God, I begin to lean on what I'm doing, how much I'm praying, how good I've been, how good I behave, and my good speech. And I get away from the fact that by the Word of God... I am a wicked and corrupted sinner. Is anybody not a wicked and corrupted sinner? So we're in the family of God because we've been good? No, we are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. God's the reason we're here. To focus on me, we've got the wrong focus. We're glorying in the wrong person. It's Christ Jesus that should receive all the glory. 
But here were the water pots. They were for washing. They washed tables. They washed pots. They washed cups. They washed hands. They washed feet. There was all manner of washing. And we looked in Mark last time, if you remember, at some of the ceremonial washing that they've got. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. So they weren't full. They must have already, and we know they had to wash before they eat. That was part of their works and part of their righteousness. They were more clean than you because they washed more than you. What corruption. Corruption. So they've already washed and there's, there's emptiness in these jugs. And Jesus' command was, fill those water pots with water. Now remember the situation. They're running out of wine. They're out of wine. What good is filling these water pots with water going to do? It sounds like it's a waste of my time. And if we're not careful, that's exactly what we'll think about the word and direction of God. This is a waste of my time. This is doing me no good because, see, they only saw the here and now. And you've got to remember this too. They didn't have spigots. They didn't have faucets. They didn't have water hoses. They had a hole in the ground with a bucket you dropped. And they carried that. that this was a job to fill up a hundred gallons of water into these stone pots. It took some time. So it'd be very easy for man to say, well, I'm not doing that. And you look back through the Old Testament, a lot of it's right around Elijah and Elisha's time, and we looked at a lot of them. But Noah was told to build an ark in the desert because a flood was coming. And the world said that is a waste of time. The widow woman of Nain she was told, you take your last handful of meal and make me a cake first. And then you go back and make you one. And I believe every time she went, she got the last handful of meal in the barrel. And yet when she went back, there was another handful there. See, that didn't make sense. The, the army that was dying of thirst, they were told, go and dig this valley full of ditches. And you're not going to see rain or wind, but in the morning there will be water. Well, they're already tired and they're dying of thirst and now you want me to dig ditches. And then there was the woman that the creditor had took her sons and he said, go and borrow empty vessels. What good is an empty vessel going to do me? So over and over again, these requests that sound like foolishness and a waste of time. But if we could hold Mary's attitude, whatever He says, do it. With faith in Him and in His power and in His knowledge, laying aside my knowledge and following after His knowledge. In Proverbs, I guess probably some of the most popular Scripture in Proverbs, and I thought maybe I had it wrote down, but I don't think I do. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and He shall direct thy paths. So as the Lord commands and as the Lord bids, we're expected to obey Him. Laying aside what I think 
and what I feel and what I believe and what I know and believing in Him and in His Word. He's God and I'm man. Those people, they were servants. You know what we are to God? We're willing servants to Him. We submitted ourselves to Him that He would purchase us and bring us in to His family. So He says, fill the water pots with water and they filled them to the brim. So they, they did exactly as He done. Now here's something interesting. He's going to transform, and, and they didn't fully know what was going to happen here. He's going to transform this water into wine. So you see how much water is in there is dependent on how much wine that they get. That crowd that was told to dig ditches, how much water they had the next morning depended on how many ditches they dug. How many empty vessels the widow that lost her sons, how much oil she was going to get depended on how many vessels she borrowed. And we got an example in 2 Kings 13. The king came to the man of God. He was looking for victory. And so there, there was an arrow. They shot an arrow. The man of God said, and this is chapter 13, verse 18, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. So the prophet Elisha here, he's telling the king what to do. Pick up those arrows, smite the ground. And he smacks the ground three times. Now you imagine, here's an old man, a prophet, he's telling you to smite the ground. How many times are you going to smite it? He smote three times and stayed. And the prophet says, you should have smoked more because now you're not going to completely win. So see, there's, there's a tying together here. There is a how much I do in obedience comes together with how much I get in the blessing of God. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to make this work, so I don't believe that at all. But I believe you could see this. The more that I dig myself into the Word of God and study, would you not say that couples with how much understanding that I'm granted of God? I realize the Holy Ghost is our illuminator and our guide into the truth. We are dependent upon Him. If any man has any knowledge, it's because the Holy Ghost has illuminated. But we know this. We know it would please God for me to study His Word, for me to put myself in His Word day by day. Would you not say that how much the Holy Ghost reveals to me depends on how much I study as well? Do you not think I could dig in the Word of God more and grow in knowledge? Do you reckon if they just dug one ditch, they'd have just had one ditch full of water? And so, well, I, I don't have much knowledge. We'll dig another ditch. And the Lord by the Spirit is able to bless you with a greater knowledge. Borrow another vessel. Because I, I believe if, if she had brought five or six oil barrels like we have out here behind the house, 
if she'd have brought those into her house, there would have been enough oil in that picture to have filled them up. So how much, how much are you looking for? We know it's God's will to dig in the Word of God. And I, I believe prayer goes right there as well. We're commanded to pray. We are told in the Word to pray without ceasing. I'm told in the Word He speaks a parable that men ought to always pray and not faint. So we're, we're told to do that. But you know that there ought to be with that commandment, there ought to be a desire in my heart out of love for my heavenly husband to communicate with him in prayer. But do you think there's any tying together there of the time I spend in prayer with my spiritual growth? You know, I could sit down in my house and say, boy, I'd like for some tomatoes to grow out there in that little patch of dirt. But if there's no effort ever put, there's no tomatoes ever going to grow. But you know, spiritually, we don't really have time to pray and I don't really have time to dig into the Word of God. I don't really have time to do that. But we want to sit on the couch, per se, and we want to grow. Well, fill the water pots with water and see if the Lord can't turn what we've done into something new. But there is work for the church to do. There is a place for us to labor. But now, noticing this also. If there's any wine, the servants did not do that. If there's any water in the ditch, the army didn't put it there. If there's any oil in the vessels, it wasn't the widow woman that got it there. That was the blessing of God. And yet the Lord allowed them to have part in the work that's going to be done. These men are going to have a story and a testimony to tell for the rest of their life. You know, I met that man. I met him and he was at a wedding and he told me to fill up and he told me to bear it to the governor and I'd swear that water, I poured it in there and it was water. And when that governor drunk it, it was the best wine of the evening. What an honor that God would allow us to have a part in the work that He's doing. It's an honor. A lot of times I want to get sad for myself and it's not right and you're not treated right and just all manner of goofiness in the flesh. But what an honor we have to labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we suffer for Him, blessed are we to be able to suffer that the name of the Lord Jesus would be exalted through us. So let us take the means that God's given us. What we know that we ought to be doing, let us put ourselves into that work and let's fill the water pots to the brim. And when it's turned to wine... Let's glory in our Savior that's done a mighty work. I'm, I'm not saying that we get glory for the work. It's the Lord's glory. But we get to have part in it. We get to have part in it. So they filled them up to the brim. And He saith unto them, Draw out now and bear it unto the governor 
of the feast, and they bear it. So he doesn't say, he doesn't say to test it first. Take a, take a sup first. First of all, this is water that's being washed out of. And it's in a washing pot. And they just drew it out of the well. They saw it. They poured it in. Now I don't know when the change is made. I don't know if it's... It could have been water all the way to the lips of the governor. But I know this, he doesn't say take a test of it first and then bear. Make sure that it's the good before you take it. But Jesus' command is now, you take the water that you just got. There's no indication of a miracle yet in the story. He's not even said that he was going to do a miracle. They're just doing what he says. So they dip out this water and they're carrying it to the governor, not to some lowly servant over in the corner, but they're taking it to the man. If, if we were to put it in our language, this, here's the wedding director. This is the person that's overseeing everything that's going on. And so you know the wedding director is up in arms because they're out of wine now. What are we going to do? We've got three days or however long left of this wedding feast. What are we going to do if we're out of wine? And so they're bringing unto him this, I would assume, a ladle of this wine. So in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Put your effort and strength into it. If you're going to do it, don't halfway. So that's Old Testament. For there is no work, nor device, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. We've got a limited time. We've got strength, we've got mind, we've got opportunity. While we've got that, let's put that into the work of the Lord. Let us to be encouraged and strengthened by His Word and in prayer and by the Spirit and let us labor while there's time because the night comes that no man can work. In the grave where we're going, there won't be any work. While we have opportunity, let us work for the glory of the Lord. <clears throat> so draw out and bear, and they bear it. The servants never ask a question. Now, in verse 9, this is the first words of a miracle here. When the ruler of the feast tasted the water that was made wine. We know this story. We know what's going to happen already. But if you're reading this for the first time with no prior knowledge, you don't know what's going on till right here. This water has been changed into wine. There's been a work of God done. And listen now. And knew not whence it was. The governor of the feast didn't know where this came from. But he's going to taste it. The servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning sets forth the good wine. So what's going on? He's tasted it. You know, wine 
there's an aging process, there's a fermentation process. So the way that it was typically done is you'd bring out the best stuff you had first. And as people drank that, their taste buds would, their ability to discern and understand would go down, you'd bring out the worst. And so here, and, and maybe this is somewhat disconnected, but I saw a news story. A man had went in the basement of a house he had bought, found a bottle of wine from the 50s, and they estimated it worth $80,000. You know why that was? Because it was old. That's what makes wine fine. It's when it's aged. You don't just squeeze it out of the grape and have good wine. So not only is the water changed, it's not just changed into grape juice, but it's been changed into aged wine. And the governor himself calls the bridegroom... He doesn't know where it came from. So who's going to get the glory here? From somebody that doesn't know what's went on, he's going to give the glory to the bridegroom. You've saved the best stuff for the end. The bridegroom gets praised and gloried. And isn't that what happens to people that do not know the Lord? I mean, the Lord... The Lord does great miraculous healing. The Lord allows people to get better from things that it looked like there was no chance of getting better. The Lord works out problems in the life that it looked like was impossible to get worked out. The Lord gives grace and strength to go on with life day by day and people that don't know the Lord, they credit everybody but the Lord. Credit a counselor, a doctor, a book that we read, my own strength. I, I've said this before, it may have been a while, but you read sometimes that so-and-so cheated death. What it means is it, it looked in every way like they ought to be dead, but they cheated death. God don't get the glory because they don't know who He is. But you know, if the truth, if, if there's any healing that's done, I realize, I realize that there's medicines and there's treatments that can bring forth healing, but it's God that worketh through those things. And so God gets the glory for all. He should. God should get the glory. If we had grown in our understanding of Him, I believe we could glory more and more in Him and in His works. But the governor doesn't know. And what a testimony here to the greatness of this miracle by a man that does not know that a miracle's taken place. He thinks the bridegroom had this wine laid up. But he says, look, you've brought out the best. I don't know what kind of wine they had at the start. I would assume they done just like this man said. They brought out the best wine they had first. Well, this is better than the best. This is the best. Now, if you have, if you have wine, 
What does water do to that? I mean, some folks say, well, he's just watered down the wine that they had here. But it doesn't get better by watering it down. You're taking the taste and the quality and the power out of it by watering it down. No question, there's been a great miracle that's wrought here and testimony given to it, not by a disciple, but by somebody that did not know what was going on. Now there's spiritual implications here. I don't know if I talked last time about it, but chapters 2, 3, and 4, we're going to see a theme of the Old Testament passing away and the new covenant in Jesus Christ being brought in. You've got this miracle, and on down in this chapter you're going to see the uh, destruction of the temple, the resurrection of Jesus, the cleansing of the temple. In John chapter 3 we're going to see the new birth and the new life that's brought about by it. And in John chapter 4, he's going to talk to the woman at the well about not worshiping at Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. There's a new kingdom coming to pass. And you can see that in this miracle of the Lord. That here's the, the Old Testament ceremonial washing, the Old Testament ceremonial cleansing of the hands and the feet and the flesh, and the Lord's going to take that and turn it into something not that you wash the outward man with, but that that goes inside of you. And not that that's a bear. Have you ever got up from supper and looked at the sink and said, Lord, I don't want to mess with that right now. You know what that washing is? It's a task. It's not joyous. It's not what you want to do. That's the way religion gets. Man can be religious for a little while, but you just keep going and you're going to get tired of it. It becomes a task and a chore. And John says in 1 John, the commandments become grievous. It's a weight for me to have to bear. But what he's turning this into is that that goes inside of you and all through the Old Testament, wine, a type of joy and gladness. That that goes inside of you and brings about gladness. The salvation that's coming in Jesus Christ, it's not going to be a chore or a burden, but in Christ Jesus we're satisfied. Satiate. That's a, that's a beautiful word. To be satiated. It's so full. You can't get any more in it. That's the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And service to Him is not a task or a chore or a job that's grievous to me or that I dread doing, but because of the joy of the Holy Spirit that He's indwelt me with. I have a desire to be pleasing and honorable to Him who saved me. So you see, uh, an out with the old and an in with the new. And now you compare, compare in value a hundred gallons of wash water with a hundred gallons of fine wine. Which is more valuable? Is there, is there any comparison? Man wants religion. Man wants good works. 
Man wants his deeds and reputation. And man doesn't realize the value that Christ has brought through His death and resurrection. A pardon from sin, a freedom from the law, and no condemnation. What peace that's in Jesus Christ. So in verse 11, this is the beginning of miracles. So that word miracles, all the way through John, it means a sign, an indication. That's my favorite definition. An indication. So you know what this miracle is doing? John's saying this is an indication of who we're dealing with here. This is giving me an indication that this man is more than just a man, the son of Mary. This man's got power that is supernatural. I don't think that could be questioned. So this was just the beginning of miracles. This was his first one. He's beginning to manifest his glory. He's beginning to reveal who he is. But what I want you to notice, I want you to notice that here, he manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Who saw this miracle take place? Best by the Scripture, you had the servants, could have been the disciples, probably not, because I believe that would have been delineated. But the servants that carried the water, the disciples, and Mary. Nobody else knew. The governor didn't know. The bridegroom didn't know. This was hidden. You know what he's doing here? He's proving to his followers who that he is. And who is his followers? Those that he's called. And this mighty work's done, it's done undercover and hidden to the eyes of the multitude. Is that not what goes on today? God does a mighty work. Just say saving an individual. God does such a mighty work in that life and to the multitude that work is hidden to the eyes of man. And yet the disciples believed on Him. And now here, let's focus on one more thing and we're almost out of time. So this was a miracle of Christ without question. His work and to His glory that was wrought through the hands of man. God is using servants to do His work and His miracle. Now here's a place where a lot of times man gets twisted up today. And we want to put glory on the church as if the church is doing a miracle and that the church is saving people. I'm not discounting that the church has a work. I am discounting that the servants changed water into wine. That's God's work. God allows us to be a part of the work that He's doing. And if anybody's saved, the church did not do it. If there's any water made to wine, 
The church didn't change it. It's a truth. <clears throat> so, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, <clears throat> and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. So here's Paul the Apostle. He's going around the world in that day preaching the gospel of Christ. And he says, I'm thankful to God because we always triumph. We always overcome. And as we're there, He's making manifest the knowledge of Christ in every place. Paul's going. Paul is preaching. The Bible says the savor of his knowledge by us. How are these folks learning of Christ and of God? Through Paul, by Paul's preaching. How is Paul getting this preaching done? God is causing him to triumph. So see, God's using him. God's sending him. Paul is preaching and God's getting the knowledge of his son out. So does that mean that everybody that heard Paul gets saved? Does it mean that whether Paul was feeling good that night or feeling bad, or whether he had, we would say in the flesh, he had a good night tonight, he really dug down in the gospel. Or he had an off night tonight. He wasn't as sharp as he normally is. That don't have anything to do with it. He's preaching. The Word of God's going out. Knowledge is being made. So who's being saved? Verse 15. This is 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15. <clears throat> For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. So the, the gospel of God is it's pleasing to God in them that are saved and in them that perish. How can it be pleasing to God that the gospel's preached and people are perishing? You believe God's got a purpose? Do you believe that God's going to send Moses to Pharaoh? and bring greater condemnation on him before he destroys him. God's going to exalt his name on Pharaoh's head. So as God sends the gospel, there are folks that are going to believe. They're going to believe through preaching. There's folks that are not going to believe. They're not going to believe the preaching. The preaching is still glorious to God, it's still a sweet savor unto God, whether believed or whether rejected. That's what he says. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. To the other, the savor of life unto life. To the one, their condemnation grows. To the other, it's life from the dead for them. But in both cases, God's glorified and God is pleased. 
So as I get up to preach, and if you're not careful, we'll get in the flesh sometimes, and I'll be disappointed that so-and-so hadn't responded or moved. But by the Word of God, there's going to be some that never move. And God's going to be glorified through them also. But you know, I preach anyway. We're to preach because it's pleasing to God either way. God's saving. You see that? God is accomplishing His purpose service by service. My hands just need to be out of it. If somebody's going to be saved, if water's going to be turned to wine, God will turn it. That doesn't mean I shouldn't preach. It's through the preaching that God's doing the work. But it's not my work to do. You see, there's two there. You've got to get them together right. If not, the hip's out of joint and you're not working right. That's right. And so Paul concludes there. This is 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, the last words. Who is sufficient for these things? So Paul's preaching. There's people that's going to be condemned by his preaching and die lost. There's going to be people that are going to be saved. Who's sufficient? Who is able? I believe you could say it a couple different ways. Who's able to do this? Is there anybody able to do it? I realize getting people saved, people think they're able to do it. But let's just say it. Let's turn water into wine. Is there anybody able to do it? And is there anybody that is sufficiently wise and all-knowing, good enough to pick the ones that are going to be saved and that are not? There's not. There's not. Well, I'd really like for them to be saved. We'll preach the gospel. God will work as He sees fit to accomplish that work. But my yanking of the arm, that's not going to get them saved. I can carry water all day long. But that don't mean I'm going to turn it to wine. No, it's, it's by God's power that this work's done. One more place, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. Who's doing the beseeching? God is. How's God beseeching them? Through Paul. The gospel is going out through Paul... And God is beseeching them through that. Greg preached the day I got saved. Did Greg save me? Did Greg convict me? Did Greg make a change in me? Did he persuade me and change my mind? No, but he preached. And God did that through preaching. That's the way God works. Praise God that we can be used of Him But we are not accomplishing the work. God is beseeching through you. So what ought the mission to be? Preach the Word. Teach the Word. No jerking. No whooping. No whopping over the head. Teach the Word. And when the fruit's ripe, God will pick it. God's work. 
we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. What's Paul's desire? That people would be saved. You know, that's my desire too. I would desire to be have you saved. You know, it was Mary's desire that that water be made wine. So Paul says, my desire is for people to come to life. But I cannot bring them to life. Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I could wish myself that I were accursed from Christ for my people Israel according to the flesh. Do you believe that Paul labored in prayer for his kinsmen and his nation, Israel? I realize there were a few that were saved. But would you not say that the majority of his kinsmen and people died lost? Paul labored. Paul done what he could. In the end, salvation is God's work and God's work alone. And when when somebody gets saved, they will not be able to say, I'm thankful that the church got me in. I'm thankful the preacher talked me into it. No more than the servants can say, boy, I'm thankful that I dipped that out because that was, the, that was what God had done. Absolutely not. Man in the flesh could have dipped out all day and it would have been wash water. So the glory must go to the right place. All hearts and minds.